0: I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. It's been said that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Cutting-edge science suggests they're the windows to the brain. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon.
1: Our guest is a leading researcher in the field of retinal imaging. Her team has developed diagnostic techniques to identify people with mild cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's disease from scans of the eye.
0: Dr. Sharon Fakrat is in our studio today. Not only can she tell us about her latest research, but she can answer your questions about a variety of eye problems.
1: Calling your questions to 919-962-9862 or email radio at peoplespharmacy.com.
0: Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, seeing the brain through the eyes.
1: In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. This week, the FDA approved updated boosters against COVID-19. The CDC followed suit with a recommendation that Americans seek this protection against the XBB-related variants that are now circulating. Dr. Peter Marks is director of the FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research. He said, the public can be assured that these updated vaccines have met the agency's rigorous scientific standards for safety, effectiveness, and manufacturing quality. We very much encourage those who are eligible to consider getting vaccinated.
0: Doctor Paul Offit is a leading expert on vaccinology and serves on the FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee. He's been a guest on the People's Pharmacy Radio Show numerous times. According to Dr. Offit, the vaccine will be best used to protect highly vulnerable people, such as those over 75 and those with chronic health conditions. He suggests that healthy, young, and middle-aged people probably have enough immunity to this virus from prior vaccination or infection that they won't benefit much from this booster.
1: Proton pump inhibitors are the most popular heartburn medicines in the pharmacy. Familiar brand names include Nexium, Prevacid, and Prilosec. They work by suppressing the stomach's production of acid. New research published in the journal BMJ Evidence-Based Medicine shows that a natural product, curcumin, works just as well as omeprazole. The investigators recruited 206 Thai patients with chronic heartburn and randomly assigned them to take omeprazole, curcumin, or both. Neither participants nor researchers knew who was taking which therapy. The volunteers completed questionnaires on the severity of their symptoms at the start of the study, after 28 days, and again 28 days after that. All had improved significantly over baseline, and there were no significant differences among the groups. The authors conclude curcumin and omeprazole had comparable efficacy for functional dyspepsia with no obvious synergistic effect.
0: One of the most common ingredients in over-the-counter cold and allergy medications is the decongestant phenylephrine. It's found in more than 250 products including Sudafed PE, Tylenol, sinus and headache, TheraFlu, severe cold relief, and Mucinex, sinus Max. According to the FDA, 242 million OTC bottles and packages of cough, cold, and allergy products containing phenylephrine are sold annually. That represents a value of about $1.8 billion. An expert advisory committee for the FDA reviewed the available scientific evidence and concluded that phenylephrine is not effective as a decongestant. The drug is supposed to work by constricting tiny blood vessels in the nose. A similar decongestant, pseudoephedrine, was once the main ingredient in Sudafed. Because it can be used to make methamphetamine, pseudoephedrine-containing products are now only sold behind the counter. Anyone who wants an effective oral decongestant with this ingredient will need to ask the pharmacist.
1: Accurate blood pressure readings are essential for evaluating hypertension and planning effective treatment strategies. Often, blood pressure measurement in clinics does not conform to the American Heart Association guidelines. Even when the recommendations are followed, however, the readings may not reflect future risk very well. A new study presented at the AHA Hypertension Scientific Sessions indicates that measuring blood pressure while the person is lying down results in a more accurate assessment. The researchers analyzed data from 11,369 participants in the atherosclerosis risk in community studies, ERIC for short. This long-running prospective study compared blood pressure measurements taken sitting and lying down and related them to the likelihood of a stroke, heart attack, or cardiovascular death over the next 25 to 28 years. Blood pressure measured after the volunteers had been lying down for 20 minutes was a better predictor of those serious outcomes than blood pressure measured while the person was seated. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist.
0: And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. Today, we're discussing your eyes and your health. In a bit, we'll open the phone lines for your questions and
1: stories. Our number is 919-962-3366. But first, let me introduce our guest, Dr. Sharon Feckrat. She is professor of ophthalmology and neurology and associate professor of surgery at Duke University Medical School. Dr. Fekrat is a vitreoretinal surgeon and has been director of the Duke Vitreoretinal Surgery Fellowship Program. She's associate chief of staff at the Durham VA Healthcare System and director of the Duke Eye Mind Research Group. In addition, she's past president of the North Carolina Society of Eye Physicians and Surgeons and the editor of the book, All About Your Eyes, along with Dr. Tanya Glazer and Dr. Henry Fung. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Fekret. Thank
2: you, Thank you so much for having me this, today.
0: We're so pleased to have you in studio and able to answer questions from our listeners. Our lines are open for your questions about eye health. The number again, 919-962-3366. You can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number, 919-962-3366.
1: Dr. Feckrat, we have asked you here to tell us all about your research. We understand that... Um, there are ways of taking special images of the retina at the back of the eye and that analyzing those images can actually tell you something about what's going on in the brain. So from that very rudimentary
2: start, can you tell us a bit more about your research, please? Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Terry. I would love to. Um, Our research, which we call Mind, where we uh, get multimodal retinal images, and the retina is the wallpaper in the back of the eye that is actually an extension of the brain. The retina is a way, um, is very easily imaged and examined, unlike the brain, which is hiding inside our skull. And so for the last six years or so, we have been uh, camped out in the neurology clinics at Duke and the memory clinic, and we have been obtaining images um, from patients with a wide variety of neurodegenerative diseases, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, uh, multiple sclerosis, and many other types of cognitive impairment and dementia. How do you get these images? Well, we, uh, fortunately, we do not need to dilate the patient's eyes or the participant's eyes. And we also do not touch the eyes with anything. There are these very portable, relatively small uh, imaging machines. They're not x-rays. And we can obtain an image in under a minute. Um, and so these images give us a wealth of information. We're able to look at the smallest blood vessels in the body. Some of them are smaller than the the thickness of a human hair, and so um, we're able to see changes in the images and in the retina that may reflect what's going on in the brain.
0: I find that so incredibly fascinating because, as you pointed out, it's not easy to determine what's going on in the brain. You know if somebody has early symptoms of Parkinson's disease or early symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. You know, there, there are scans. You can do a PET scan, for example, and you can sort of see whether there's plaque in the brain and amyloid. But the kind of detail that you're looking at, this very fine blood vessel structure, we have nothing else. And that you can actually see things changing is just fascinating. And I guess the question is, can you actually diagnose a problem years before it might manifest itself?
2: That's an excellent question. You know, ultimately that's our goal, to be able to use these images from the eyes to pick up conditions before there are any clinical symptoms. Early enough that new treatments that scientists all over the world are working to identify can be more effective earlier on in the disease state. Because we know Alzheimer's, for example, changes are happening in our brains 20 years before symptoms are actually noticeable to ourselves or others around us.
0: What do you think is happening in those blood vessels? What what do they look like?
2: So, um, you know, we're at a stage of our research well, where, where we don't quite understand what came first, the chicken or the egg. So, in individuals with Alzheimer's, in individuals with Parkinson's, and mild cognitive impairment and other conditions, we are seeing loss of the very small blood vessels in the retina, five microns in diameter is this size of these little blood vessels. How,
0: how can we uh, interpret what five microns would look like? Indescribably
2: tiny. <laughs> it is smaller than the width of a human hair. And we what we're observing is sort of a moment in time. So we don't really know did the disease come first and then the loss of the small blood vessels in the retina, which mean that also there is loss of small blood vessels in the brain. Or did that come first and the symptoms later? So we're studying um, participants over time now. And maybe with the addition of machine learning, which is a type of artificial intelligence, AI, that can notice changes in these images that we are unable to detect with our standard um, uh, metrics. So tell us a bit about the machine learning, please. So machine learning, we've all heard a lot of ba- about. It's a very, you know, fancy term, and it's a type of artificial intelligence. And machine learning is a computer code or model or algorithm, and we train it, basically. So we provide inputs into a machine learning model and train it. We say, this: these are retinal images from somebody who is a normal, healthy adult with normal cognition. And then we train it. These are images, retinal images and pictures and OCTs, of somebody who has symptomatic Alzheimer's, for example. And over time, the machine learns the difference. And later, then when we give it random images from me or you or anyone, it can put out an output and say, There's an 80% chance this person has Alzheimer's. So it can categorize the images that it wasn't told
1: ahead of time. It belongs in this category. Now, you just used a term, OCT. I understand that's very important to this research. And when I first read about your research was also a time when I was being told by my eye doctor, you need OCT, optical coherence tomography. Did I get that right? Yes, you did.
2: What is it? Well, OCT is an optical cross-section. It's not an x-ray, and it takes a picture of many different parts of the eye, and we've been specifically interested in OCT of the retina. So it's similar to cutting a sandwich in half and looking at it from the side, and you see bread, jelly, bread. So um, OCT looks at the retina from the side, and we can see all of the structures in exquisite detail. And OCT has been around for 20 years, and it is continually improving. And our technology in the ophthalmology and eye space is exploding. Um, And so it's like looking at histology on a slide under a microscope almost.
0: And why would an eye doctor want to do this kind of OCT exam? What what does it reveal now beyond the kind of research that you're doing, but clinically today, there are eye doctors all around the country who are using this technology?
2: Yes. OCT has become a very important part of the eye exam and the workflow. And we almost obtain it routinely at this point because it shows us so much more than we can see on our eye exam with the lights and the dilation.
0: And what would be, for example, a problem that might show up?
2: We can pick up early uh, diabetic fluid swelling in the retina called diabetic macular edema. We can pick up uh, early stages of uh, wet and dry macular degeneration. Um, we can also detect early changes from glaucoma. So there is a long list of, of conditions that we can detect, even things that are affecting the whole body.
0: So. Should patients start asking if they can have an OCT exam, especially if they're concerned about macular degeneration or diabetic complications?
2: I would recommend that. I think if it were me, I would like to have an OCT of my retinas. We have an email from Kathy.
1: She asks, will local ophthalmologists be able to look at the eye for cognitive impairment, or is that only specialists at, for example, training hospitals? Her example was Emory in Atlanta. Of course, Duke is another training hospital.
2: Yeah, well, right now we can uh, get OCT images, but it's not at the point where we can um, have you come into the office and get an OCT and tell you. You're listening to Dr. Sharon
1: feckrat Professor of Ophthalmology and Neurology and Associate Professor of Surgery at Duke University Medical School. She's director of the Duke Eye Mind Research Group and editor, along with Dr. Tanya Glaser and Dr. Henry Fang, of the book "All About Your Eyes.":
0: After the break, we invite your calls about eye health.
1: Have you been told you have glaucoma or macular degeneration? What's working well for you, and what problems have you encountered?
0: Our lines are open at 919-962-3366. If you get a busy signal, you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, 919-962-3366. Or you could send us a tweet. We're at peoplespharmacy. Do they
1: still call it a tweet even though it's X now? Send us an X. That sounds weird.
0: Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay. 919-962-3366.
1: You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon.
0: This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, cocoa Pro cocoa extract.
1: September is Healthy Aging Month, and a reminder that it's never too late to get started on better health practices, like finding a wellness routine that works for you. Part of that routine can be adding clinically proven cocoa flavanols to your daily regimen. Whether you're looking to prioritize your heart health or your brain health, you can find a supplement to fit your needs with Cocoa Via. All Cocovia supplements contain the number one bioactive flavanols, Cocopro, backed by more than 20 years of research. These powerful bioactive nutrients are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular health and improve cognitive function as you age, so you can stay physically active and mentally sharp for healthy years ahead.
0: Get 20% off all Cocovia products from September 18th through October 2nd using the discount code agewellpod at cocovia.com. That again is agewellpod at cocovia.com.
1: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon.
0: And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements, September is Healthy Aging Month, and you can take care of your heart and brain health by adding cocoa flavanols to your daily routine for cardiovascular and cognitive support. Can Cocovia be a part of your routine to age well for years to come? More information at cocovia.com.
1: Today we're talking about eye health. What are your concerns, and what can you do to keep your eyes healthy? Our number, 919-962-3366.
0: Here in the studio, we are thrilled to have Dr. Sharon Feckrat. She's standing by to answer your questions. Dr. Feckrat is a professor of ophthalmology and neurology and associate professor of surgery at Duke University Medical School. She is associate chief of staff at the Durham VA Healthcare System and director of the Duke Eye Mind Research Group.
1: Our lines are open for your stories and questions at 919-962-3366. You can send us an email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That phone number again, 919-962-3366. And Joe, I thought we have a question from Caro, but I think we have had a technical problem. Dr. Fekrat, Caro wants to know about glaucoma self-care. Is there anything a healthy non-smoker, age 66, can do to slow the progression of eyesight deterioration due to wide-angle, low-tension glaucoma, in addition to taking nightly medical eye drops? In addition, she says, do I need to be careful with regular exercise raising my blood pressure?
0: First, when I was in graduate school, we talked about glaucoma because it was high pressure inside the eye, and...
1: And that's what ophthalmologists mostly measure when you go to the eye doctor for your annual exam. They've got that little thing that measures the pressure It'll, in your it, eye.
0: It bounces off your eyeball, but you don't feel it because there's a local anesthetic. And we used to give beta blockers, uh, both orally or eye drops, like Tim Timolol.
2: Yes, Timolol.
0: And now things have changed a lot. So first, tell us, what is this low pressure, low tension glaucoma thing,
2: and what can be done about it? So traditionally, glaucoma has been defined as high eye pressure, as measured in the office. And normal eye pressure is between 9 and 21 millimeters of mercury. So anything above that had traditionally been considered glaucoma. You know, glaucoma is high eye pressure or pressure that's too high for your eye that can then damage the nerve fibers in the eye and slowly cause loss of your peripheral vision. And so low-tension glaucoma is when your eye pressure is in that normal range, between 9 and 21 millimeters of mercury, but too high for your eye, and then it could lead to damage. So number one is don't miss your eye drops. Make sure that you're putting them in properly as scheduled and give them a minute to soak in before you put another one in. Uh, sometimes people are on more than one eye drop. Uh, number two, we have learned, although we're still learning, that perhaps being healthy otherwise, eating healthy, keeping your sodium down, keeping your blood pressure under control, exercising may indeed help your eye pressure too. So Caro's question about, do I need to worry about regular exercise,
1: raising my blood pressure? Presumably, you're saying, Caro,
2: keep exercising. Correct. Our blood pressure does go up when we exercise. It goes up in a variety of other situations as well. But over time, the benefits of exercise outweigh the temporary rise in blood pressure while exercising. Okay. This
0: idea of low pressure glaucoma, especially at night, because things happen at night when we're sleeping that we have no idea about. Why is that a potential problem?
2: Well, At night when we're sleeping, we typically sleep on our left side or our right side in terms of how our head is positioned. And there's a lot of exciting research going on now to try to determine if the eye that's on the side of the pillow, the dependent eye, has a higher eye pressure and may be more likely to have further loss from glaucoma. So more to be determined about that. Uh Uh Aha. I guess
1: in that case, you'd end up having to sleep on your back. So you're
2: perfectly even. Well, a lot of folks do like to sleep on their back to decrease the wrinkle formation.
0: (laughs) Oh, I never heard that (laughs) before.
2: Something I hadn't thought of. Well,
0: thank you for the uh, call, Carol. We're sorry we couldn't get you um, on the air. Where do we want to go next, Terry? I
1: think let's see if we can get to Adrian in St. Petersburg, Florida. Adrian, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Your question, please.
3: Hello. Um,
0: I'm a 51-year-old male in pretty good health, and um, I've been uh, talking to my doctor for years about floaters. And I was wondering, uh, what is the latest uh,
3: research on floaters? Is there anything that can be done to uh, eliminate or minimize them?
2: Well, hi there. Uh, That's an excellent question. So floaters can be very common. One of the first things that we try to determine, though, is what is causing the floaters.
0: Well, before you go any further, Dr. Fekrat, what's a floater?
2: Yes. So a floater is um, one or more spots or cobwebs or shapes in your vision that float around. And they can float right and left. It's something that's not fixed in position.
0: Okay, and do we have any idea what causes them?
2: So we want to make sure that it's not blood or pigment or a rare parasite. Um, oh,
0: whoa, 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 A parasite? Oh,
2: that sounds really awful. Yes, very rarely. I would say once in a blue moon, maybe not as commonly in this country, Um, but yes, um, someone who eats undercooked meats, who may have infestation from parasites, rarely could have one under the retina or in the vitreous humor floating around.
0: We have an email from Gary, and Gary says, I'm 65. I have floaters that are occasionally very noticeable, but mostly they're not a current issue. Will they get worse Will cataract lens replacement solve the problem?
2: So cataracts uh, do not solve the problem of floaters, and that's an entirely separate condition. Um, floaters, as we like to think about them, are the collagen jelly pieces that float around in the vitreous humor that result in um, liquefaction of the vitreous, solid vitreous gel over time, particularly with age. And so they may increase temporarily, um, but if they suddenly increase and you have flashes of light, like lightning, or any other symptoms, you should very promptly go to your eye doctor uh, to make sure you don't have a tear in the retina or a retinal detachment. Okay. So if you if you have had your... your
1: you've been to the eye doctor, he or she says... You don't have a a tear.
2: What then can be done about the floaters? Well, generally, we uh, prefer the passage of time. We like to wait and observe them because usually in most situations, these vitreous floaters settle with gravity over time out of the visual axis and are no longer noticeable um, to the individual. However, rarely, they can be persistent and cast shadows on the retina and interfere with your daily functioning. And in those situations, if there's one discrete floater, we may sometimes discuss lasering it into smaller pieces, uh, but that doesn't tend to be commonly um, suggested due to the risks. Another option is to have a surgery to remove the vitreous humor Uh, which has a 1% to 2% risk of retinal detachment, infection, or bleeding. So we tend to be um, cautious and observe them for a while and then discuss these options further. Okay, let's go to Maxine in Dallas, Texas.
1: Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Maxine, your question, please.
3: Hi. Um, I have been diagnosed with a vitreous hemorrhage um, due to an injection from my retina specialist of a steroid that I take for a condition in that same eye. When I went there, um, he told me to just sleep with my head elevated and in about a month that um, that situation the blood would dissipate. Um, it's about three weeks and there's been a little improvement but not a whole lot Um And I'm kind of in a quandary. Can you help me out, please?
2: Um, Yes. So as you mentioned, we do perform injections of medications into the vitreous of the eye. And less than 1% of the time, there are some um, risks and challenges that can develop. And one of those is a vitreous hemorrhage or bleeding in the vitreous, as you describe Um, usually over time, you know, that blood that's mixed in with the vitreous gel does clear on its own over time. As long as there aren't any other conditions developing that we might concern ourselves with, such as a retinal tear, we'll give it sometimes up to three months to clear. And the fact that it's just starting to clear at three weeks is a good sign. Once it's starting to clear, then we'll wait longer to give it a chance. If not, there is a surgery option uh, to clear that for you.
0: We have a message from Derek who says, will staring at a computer screen degrade your eyes? And that kind of brings to my mind a question that came up this week. Uh, I think uh, one of your colleagues at Duke mentioned that children are developing myopia, nearsightedness, at a rather alarming rate and has a, a linked that to staring at screens. I assume that could also be cell phones, iPads, other kinds of um, pads. So what's the deal on computer screens for the rest of us? Because goodness knows I spend hours a day staring at a computer screen. Um, any concerns?
2: So as you mentioned, you know, the whole world is in front of some sort of screen. And as an adult, staring at a computer screen is not thought to cause any direct damage to the eye. In fact, um, studies looking at blue light um, have, have not found to be detrimental. Um, I have seen some literature, and I think more work needs to be done, that perhaps perhaps the light from these screens may affect our uh, pineal gland and may affect our hormonal balance and may contribute to hormonal uh, cancers. And so I think that more work definitely needs to be done in that space. Um, For children, we know that um, some children are genetically predisposed to develop myopia or nearsightedness. And the environmental factors then can play a role in the development. And one of those is extended near work. Mm -hmm. Um, Being on a screen is near work, and so that may exacerbate the development of myopia. And so it's often recommended to take a break. After about 20 minutes of near work, look away for 20 seconds at something 20 feet away. Okay, 20, 20, 20.
1: Let's go to Marlene in Philadelphia. Marlene, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. What's on your mind?
3: Uh, hi, thank you for taking my call. Yes, I've been uh, told by my eye doctor that I have something called macular change, and we do monitor it frequently, uh, twice a year. My question is related to symptoms from the sun and the uh, excess, excessive like How do I clear the marks that are, are left on my eyes? Is there supplements or some kind of treatment that I can get relief?
2: And um, thank you for your question. Did you say macular change? Change? Yes. yes. So
3: my, o- my OCT, uh, just really just both of them, my retinas have a, a small bump uh, on them. And uh, it hasn't changed, but it's... it's Bring it, in, and it does uh,
2: impact my vision. Right. So it's hard to know um, from that, since it's uh, not an official diagnosis, exactly what it could be. Um, sometimes when it's not macular degeneration, but there is actually a change on the OCT, we may just call it a change in the macula. And usually that can be some little pigment clumping or pigment change that is quite common, and we don't know exactly what causes it. But we'll often recommend protecting your eyes from ultraviolet light and wearing sunglasses when you're outside, enjoying dark green leafy vegetables to help the macula, as long as it's okay by your medical doctor to eat those on a daily basis. And some medications, such as certain blood thinners, uh, can interact with um, dark green leafy vegetables.
0: We have an email from Zach. Zach says, I'm a computer engineer on screen, screens all day for work and play. So my livelihood depends on healthy eyes. What would you recommend to protect my eyes? A well-lit office Desk, office, take breaks, focus on faraway objects out my window, curved monitors so my eyes don't have to refocus when I look at my screen, use OLED, O-L-E-D panels in dark mode, and I can't read his last question. Um, so that's a lot of questions. That's a lot let's, of questions. Let's
1: start with just the first one, which was,
0: uh, what can I do? Yes. What <laughs> what, can, what can a computer jock like? is Gar- it Zach? Gar- Zach, do about all that screen time?
2: Well, um, like you, I'm in front of the screen for much of my my time as well. I think, um, you know, wearing the appropriate glasses to keep the image in focus, um, using dark mode where the background um, of your computer is dark and the text is light. I think offers great contrast, and it provides the opportunity to, quote, rest your eyes from that bright light. Um, But many things that we do to keep our whole bodies healthy also keep our eyes healthy. So eating healthy food, exercising, taking care of your blood sugar, making sure that's not out of whack, taking care of your blood pressure, protecting your eyes from ultraviolet light, not smoking, Enjoying dark green leafy vegetables, and of course, getting your eyes completely examined uh, once a year. You're listening to Dr. Sharon Feckrat,
1: professor of ophthalmology and neurology and associate professor of surgery at Duke University Medical School. She is director of the Duke Eye Mind Research Group and editor, along with Dr. Tanya Glaser and Dr. Henry Fang, of the book All About Your Eyes.
0: We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about diseases that can affect your vision.
1: When your eye doctor detects a problem, what can be done about it?
0: Our lines are open for your questions at 919-962-3366. Because our lines are full, you can also email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That phone number again, 919 962
1: 33-66. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon.
0: This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Grayton.
1: And I'm Terry Grayton. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Coco Via Dietary Supplements. September is Healthy Aging Month, and you can take care of your heart and brain health by adding cocoa flavanols to your daily routine, for cardiovascular and cognitive support. Can CocoVia be a part of your routine to age well for years to come? More information at cocovia.com.
0: And today on the People's Pharmacy, we're talking about eye health. There are many conditions that can affect the eyes, and in addition, eye doctors can detect many other health conditions with an eye exam. We'll find out about those conditions in a moment. Our guest is Dr. Sharon Feckrat, Professor of Ophthalmology and Neurology and Associate Professor of Surgery at Duke University Medical School. Dr. Feckrat is a vitreoretinal retinal surgeon. She's also Associate Chief of Staff at the Durham VA Healthcare System and Director of the Duke Eye Mind Research Group. She's editor of the book, All About Your Eyes, along with Dr. Tanya Glazer and Dr. Henry Fong. And Terry, let's go right back to the phones. And before, oh, actually, before we do that, I have an email from Tom. He says, hi, People's Pharmacy. I have a retinal pucker. Unfortunately, it's near the focal area of my dominant eye. What's the cause? Likely course. And potential treatment for this condition. What is a retinal pucker?
2: That's an excellent question. So retinal pucker or macular pucker has a lot of nicknames. We call it a wrinkle, a cellophane maculopathy, or an epiretinal membrane. And you didn't do anything to develop this. This can happen commonly in individuals over time. Uh, particularly in folks over 50 years old. And so when the vitreous gel of the eye liquefies and separates from the retina wallpaper, it can sometimes leave a residue on the central vision of the retina called the macula. And it just sits there like a saran wrap, and 90% of these never change but 10% can change over time and they wrinkle a little bit they can cause some distortion in the central vision of just that eye and can blur the central vision so if the vision is blurred and it's just it's better than 20 over 40 on the eye chart we'll generally recommend observation and let it sit If it blurs the vision more centrally, our other option is a surgery option, since we currently don't have pills or eye drops or laser to treat a macular pucker. And that surgery is vitrectomy surgery, which has had very good success rates and continues to improve over time um, with just a 1% risk. So those are your options at this time.
1: That brings up a question. Some people have heard about a detached retina, which I understand is a serious complication for the eyes. What is it, and what do you do about it?
2: Yeah, so a retinal detachment is something that can happen to any of us, but there are risk factors that make it more likely. Uh, number one is nearsightedness, a family history of a retinal detachment, Um, or an eye injury, or even prior eye surgery, including cataract surgery. Um, So the retina is the retina wallpaper inside the eye behind the pupil. And it can develop a hole or a tear from the vitreous humor that we've been talking about that pulls at it. It's like the wallpaper. If there's a little hole in the wallpaper somewhere, the fluid in the eye or the air in the room can go through that and separate or detach the retina from the wall of the eye. And that is an urgent situation in most cases, um, and we recommend surgery to fix that. And what would
0: be a symptom?
2: Um, Very rarely there are no symptoms, but more likely than not, the symptoms are flashes of light like lightning, dark little spots floating or new floaters, as we had talked about, or a dark shade coming over the vision from any side. And what can you do? The most important thing is to get to your eye doctor right away, even if it's a holiday or mm-hmm. you know late at night on a Sunday. It's very important to go in. And um, we fix it with surgery in the operating room. We have a hard silicone band that we sometimes put around the eye to support it, like a 2 by 4 in the wall, so to speak or vitrectomy surgery, which actually was invented uh, at Duke in 1970, where we make three little holes in the white of the eye and go inside behind the pupil. We remove the vitreous gel, which can be a problem uh, to have in there, and then put the retina back in place, laser it down, and let it heal with a gas bubble or an oil bubble in the eye. And
0: the fluid comes back
2: and the fluid does come back, the aqueous humor then fills that vitreous cavity.
0: Now, we promised to tell people why they need to have regular eye exams. What kinds of conditions can you detect on an eye exam?
2: A f- complete dilated eye exam is really the window to your brain, the window to your systemic health because of all the structures that we can see in there. So in addition to eye conditions that we're screening for, such as cataract, which is a cloudy lens in the pupil, glaucoma, macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, many other conditions, there are so many other things we can detect. Uh, Consequences of COVID, syphilis, tuberculosis, HIV, herpes, vitamin B12, and folic acid deficiencies thyroid eye disease, so many things. And hypertension.
0: You can see the consequences of high blood pressure.
2: Yes, and sometimes also heart disease. Let's go back to the phones.
1: 919-962-3366. Sherry in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy.
3: Hi. I'm 74. I have both... Macular degeneration, it's dry, and I have the macular pucker. I have developed cataracts, uh, excuse me, had one changed, it did not, it developed the skin on it, so they had to put a hole through it. Still didn't work. I couldn't read street signs with that. And also, any, any, so after that, my retina doctor said, I'll do the macular pucker, um, draining of the eyeball waited five months for that to heal that didn't work either I'm at a point now that I don't trust anyone to touch my other eye to change the cataract so two questions could I have had a a, would you call it an adjustable lens put in because they also put in the wrong prescription for that lens from another doctor that told me that and can that Lens be changed
1: at all? Question. Uh, okay, Sherry. I think
2: let's let's let the doctor answer your question. Okay, the very good. Um, thank you for sharing all of that, um, and I'm sorry to hear about the challenges that you're having. You know, after a cataract surgery, when a lens implant is placed, um, if we're thinking about exchanging the lens implant, that is something that we prefer to do in the first 30 days or so. Over time, that lens implant kind of gets comfortable and and sort of scars into place. And it can get more challenging to exchange a lens implant. Um, As you know, there are so many kinds of lens implants to choose from, especially nowadays. And those lens implants, we try to tailor them to the other conditions in the eye. but you can think about it like a old-fashioned camera, right? You can put any lens, a zoom lens, on that camera. But if the retina or the film of the camera has macular degeneration or a pucker or other challenges, there's only so much vision um, or so much of a picture that that eye or camera can capture.
0: Let me ask you a quick email question from Jim. He says... Eye doctors recommend wearing sunglasses. My question, do cheap sunglasses from the dollar stores provide adequate protection for the eyes? And if not, where should I buy good sunglasses? I often wear my sunglasses over my prescription eyeglasses.
2: That is a question I think we've all wondered over time. And I have learned that as long as the sunglasses, no matter where you purchase them from, Say that they protect you from ultraviolet A and B light, then they're safe to use.
1: Okay, so they, but they have to have a note, a notification on them. They protect from both UVA and UVB. Let's go to Joe in New York. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Joe.
3: Hi. Hey, um, I was wondering uh, about diabetic eye disease, like what levels of blood sugar. We're where, in the danger zone, and like how long of time does it take to start affecting your eyes?
2: I love that question. So um, every person is different, and some very important things to remember about diabetes in your eyes is, number one, take care of that blood sugar. The cookie or the rice or whatever it is is just not worth it because it affects Poorly controlled blood sugar or blood sugar that's just up and down, and some can be very challenging to manage. Over time, and that's usually months or years, can damage the small blood vessels in the body. So not only the retina, but the kidneys and the feet and the heart and the brain and other structures. And diabetic retinopathy, diabetes can affect the eyes, and be causing a lot of damage with no symptoms. So it's very important to get a good dilated eye exam when you're diagnosed with diabetes, and then they'll tell you how often to come back. That is something that if you catch early, it can be treated easily. When it's caught very late, it's a challenge.
0: And I have become a big fan of continuous glucose monitoring. These little devices that you stick on your arm, they're there for two weeks. You can see what happens when you eat a cookie in the middle of the afternoon. It's not pretty. Your glucose levels go up really fast. And even if you don't have diabetes, maybe it's pre diabetes, or you're just concerned about how your diet affects your blood sugar. One of these devices is really, really helpful. Unfortunately, insurance won't
1: pay for it. And they're very pricey. So maybe you just shouldn't eat cookies.
0: Well, there's another possibility.
1: (laughs) Of course, that's a tall order here. (laughs) Uh, What about contacts versus glasses versus
2: surgery, laser surgery? So, um, you know, some of us in order to see clearly, need help. And that can be in the form of glasses or contact lenses. And then there, of course, are a wide variety of surgical procedures, including a laser type of surgery to, quote, get rid of your glasses. As you see, many eye doctors around, most of us do wear glasses. (laughs) I
0: I noticed that you have extremely attractive glasses on today. And and I obviously am wearing glasses, as is Terry. I'm
2: wearing mine. I like to see the
0: screen. Be a fashion statement.
2: They can be for sure. And especially now, there are so many different ways to get uh, frames and have them available to you. contact lenses are necessary for some individuals depending on the shape of the cornea on their eye to get their best vision. Um, And then for some select individuals who undergo a very complete evaluation, um, they may be a candidate for a surgery to get rid of glasses.
1: And we're going back to the phones again. Juliana in Siler City, North Carolina, welcome to the People's Pharmacy.
3: Thank you very much um, for this program. My question is inflammation of long-term inflammation of the retina. How does it affect memory? I have a memory problem, and I also have repetitive inflammation of the retina.
1: All right. We'll find well, out. Well, you're
0: talking a... to the r- absolutely yes. right person because not only is our guest, Dr. Fekrat, a ne- neurology professor, she also is a, 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 an eye surgeon, and she has been studying these very things. Dr. Feckrat.
2: So inflammation in the eye is uh, not normal because normally we don't have inflammation happening in our eyes. Um, We categorize inflammation as uveitis, and there's many, many different kinds. So although the eye is an extension of the brain, and often the changes happening in the eye can reflect what's happening in the brain, they're not always connected. So some cases of inflammation in the eye or the retina, such as uveitis, can be entirely separate from the brain. So it's very important for you to perhaps see a retina specialist if you haven't already, particularly a uveitis specialist, and we have several at Duke, and there are others out there, um, and perhaps a neurologist as well, and they can um, put their heads together to figure out the next best steps for you.
0: We um, we have an email from Karen who wants to know, well, where can I get one of those classy eye scans? And is there any remote artificial intelligence interpretation available? Uh,
2: So at this time, uh, you can get an OCT image almost at any eye doctor's office. Um, If you're interested in participating particularly in the iMind research study, you can send an email to iMind at duke.edu. But at this time, the machine learning, the remote uh, artificial intelligence algorithms are not quite ready for prime time since we still have much more work to do. But we're definitely headed in that direction.
1: All right. Well, that is all the time we have today. Thank you for listening and for sharing your questions. And thanks to Dr. Sharon Fekret. She's Professor of Ophthalmology and Neurology and Associate Professor of Surgery at Duke University Medical School. Dr. Fekret is a vitreoretinal surgeon and has been Director of the Duke Vitreoretinal retinal Surgery Fellowship Program. She's Associate Chief of Staff at the Durham VA Healthcare System and Director of the Duke Eye Mind Research Group. In addition, she's past president of the North Carolina Society of Eye Physicians and Surgeons and editor of the book, All About Your Eyes, along with Dr. Tanya Glazer and Dr. Henry Fang.
0: The People's Pharmacy is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy.
1: Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta and Ayasi Chinflu provided technical assistance. Al Widerski engineered the People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman.
0: The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. This is National Wellness Month. Adding flavanols to your daily routine can help with a strong heart and cognitive support. How can Cocovia be a part of your wellness habits? More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,356.
1: You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You can subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday
0: morning. If you go to peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter. newsletter It's an easy way to stay on top of the breaking health news. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll find out about our next podcast and what's coming up in future shows. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon.
1: And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you so much for listening, and please do join us again next week. Oh. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time
0: and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in.